Hey everyone, I'm Bill Mayeroff. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of Hound Opinions. This episode is a bit personal for me. Um, we're talking about senior dogs, and my senior boy Chester is the reason why. Uh, Chester's 12, and while he doesn't act like a senior, his age is definitely something I love about him. Right, fact, senior dogs are awesome, and I'm not just saying that because I have one, though that is part of the reason. There's really nothing like a senior dog. They're often happy to just spend time on the couch with you, they might let you sleep in on weekends, they don't require super long walks or play sessions to get their energy out. So what's not to love, right? But despite being amazing, senior dogs that wind up in shelters or rescues are often overlooked in favor of younger dogs and puppies. They're some of the hardest dogs to adopt out. That needs to change. And that's why my guest this time is Lisa Longhopper. She's the executive director of the Gray Muzzle Organization. The mission of the Gray Muzzle Organization is to improve the lives of at-risk senior dogs by providing funding and resources to animal shelters, rescue organizations, sanctuaries, and other nonprofit groups nationwide. She's going to tell us all about what the Gray Muzzle Organization does and why senior dogs are the best. You can find the Gray Muzzle Organization online at graymuzzle.org or if you look up Gray Muzzle Organization on all your normal social channels. All right, enough of my yapping. Let's get to it. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me on Hound Opinions. Um, I'm really excited uh, to to chat with you about about senior dogs and about the Gray Muzzle Organization. Um, so, just to kind of dive in, first of all, just talk about you know, kind of give give the elevator speech about about what the Gray Muzzle Organization actually does. Sure. Well, first, I'm delighted to be here. So thank you so much for having me. Great Muzzle provides funding and other resources to animal welfare organizations across the country. Um, last This past July, we awarded $705,000 in grants to 78 animal welfare groups in the United States and in Canada. We had our first time grantee from Puerto Rico. We're really excited about that. And we also provide resources for the general public. So we really are dedicated to promoting the bond that we share with our um, older best friends. So we provide monthly free webinars on a range of topics from enrichment to medical care, new alternative treatments, dental care, and also end of life decision making. And we also have resources on our website, on our blog, um, about similar topics. Cool. Um, and how did you get started with, with Gray Muzzle? It, it was sort of a circuitous route, really. I've been involved since 2015, but my background is actually in research and evaluation on children's exposure to violence, of all things. So okay. um, about more than a decade ago, I decided that I wanted to to use the skills that I had developed doing that work and apply them to working in the animal welfare field. So I've been really fortunate to be able to work with several different groups locally and nationally, and in particular with, with Gray Muzzle for the last seven years. Okay. And um, so what did, when you first started at, at Gray Muzzle, what was your, what did you do? So I actually started working with Gray Muzzle as a pro bono consultant. I was helping them do some strategic planning. So Gray Muzzle was founded in 2008 by Julie Dudley, who was working at or volunteering 
at Old Dog Haven, which is a rescue in Washington State. And she realized that there really weren't national resources focused on helping senior dogs. And, and she really identified that as a gap. So she founded Gray Muzzle in 2008. And um, in 2014, the, the organization had really grown, by 2014 had really grown substantially. And it had been all volunteer run. And the board of directors was a working board. You know, they were carrying out all of the day-to-day -day operations of Gray Muzzle. And it was really just becoming too much given the size of the organization. So I actually sure. helped them do some strategic planning. And then I was hired as the first part-time executive director. So I've held that position since then. Okay. Um, so um, I, should, I should ask, do you have, um, do you have some Gray Muzzles of your own? I do. I have one Gray Muzzle right now. Her name is Cameron. She will turn 13 years old, which, hard to, which is hard to imagine at the end of this month. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, that's, that's great. How old, how old was she when, um, when she first came to you? She actually was a puppy when we got Aww. her. We've okay. had, yeah, we've had her all her life. Oh, that's great. No, I've, I've got a senior guy of my own. Um, my older boy, Chester, he is, he's 12. He's going to be 13 in, in March. Um, had him since he was about a year and a half. And, you know, that's, he, he's a big part of the reason I wanted to, I wanted to, to do this episode because, you know, it's hard to, I don't, I don't think people know how to kind of prepare for having a, you know, a senior dog. Had you, um, before before your girl now had you had um senior pets before yes so cameron actually grew up with two sisters and they live to the ripe old ages of 15 and 16 respectively so oh wow okay yeah. and what were some of the things that kind of surprised you you know as, as you've gone through your life and you've had you've had senior pets what are what are some of the things that surprised you um you know about about senior pets and about about caring for them I, I think it's been a journey and a process you know and I, I think that um you know some of the things that I learned as our two other dogs got older we're just about how to think about decision-making and decision-making in their best interests in terms of treatment choices. Um, one of my dogs, Hercules, she actually had bladder cancer, which is oh. quite rare in dogs. But um, yeah, we had to make hard choices about what types of treatment and, and when to, to offer palliative care as opposed to trying to intervene in the disease process. So I think those are really tough decisions that we often face as our, as our family members, whether they have two, two legs or four legs um, face. And so I think, you know, as we go through that process and, and we take that journey with our, with our animals, I think, I think we learn each step of the way. Yeah. Um, and Mentioned, you mentioned that one of the things that the Gray Muzzle Organization does is provide resources for helping people sort of make these these end of life decisions. Talk about some of the some of the ways that that the organization can actually help with um, can help with that with with end of life decision making for your pets. 
So we've offered several webinars, actually, that, that have been really quite popular that, that really just talk very candidly about end of life. Um, Dr. Mary Gardner founded, co-founded um, Lap of Love Veterinary Hospice, and she is actually one of our advisory board members, and she has spoken okay. several times on um, older pets and senior dogs specifically, and caring for your senior dog at the end of life and, and things to think about as you're making decisions about euthanasia and, and just really having candid conversations about, about what a euthanasia appointment is like, you know, what you should expect, um, you know, planning for that and, and just preparing people for it. And I think that that's really important because I don't think those are conversations that, we really have um, very much at right. all for anyone. People sure. are animals. So um, I think that that's a really important um, offering that we, we have been able to provide our, our supporters and our followers. So, um, and I will say that, you know, if, if people listening are interested in those resources, we do have recordings of those webinars that people can go back and watch. So if you go to our awesome. website, graymuzzle.org, you can find those resources and um, read about them or, or also just go back and listening, listen to the recording. Cool. Um, why do you think that historically there haven't been the discussions of end-of-life care? I, I think just culturally we don't, as a culture, talk very openly or candidly about death and the dying process. So I think that generalizes to our, our pets. And I mean, it's a hard conversation to have. I, I certainly respect that and appreciate how, how difficult that is. And but I, I do also recognize that that by not talking about it, we're missing an opportunity, you know, I think that there is there tends to be a tremendous amount of guilt that people have after their pet dies, you know, wondering if they've waited too long or not waited long enough or what if. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that Dr. Gardner has really been very, very helpful around is helping to, to normalize that and helping people to recognize that there's no one way mm -hmm. and no single answer and that we each have to find our, um, find our place around that decision-making that and, and find the place that's best for us, for us as caregivers, as well as for our animals. Okay. Um, kind, of, kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've, I've worked in, I've worked in the rescue world and I volunteer with, with rescue now. Um, you know, one of the hardest things is that, you know, sometimes people do have a need to rehome a senior pet, um, and I also know that those are some of the hardest pets to adopt out. Um, and so, why? I guess the the big question: Why are seniors so great, and why should people be looking for them, and you know, and, and wanting to take them home? I think senior dogs are terrific, no doubt about that, and. I think what we're actually seeing through our work with our gray muzzle grantees 
is actually a shift in people's perceptions about senior dogs and their willingness to consider opening their hearts and homes to a senior dog. You know, I think when I started working with Gray Muzzle, there were many more barriers to, to people being willing to consider older dogs, be they adult dogs or senior dogs. And I think that as we are, as we've been providing more resources to our grantees to help them address the medical and dental needs of the senior dogs that are coming into their care. And they are able to, you know, show those dogs for how wonderful they are and also um, give potential adopters the peace of mind to know exactly where they stand health wise by having, you know, having done blood work, having done, you know, some of the other, you know, preventative um, things like, like providing a dental so that, right. Um, you know, teen, clean teeth are are good, and and hmm. um, that helps to prevent systemic disease. So, um, I think that we are really seeing a shift in people's openness to adopt older dogs, and and their just enthusiasm about hmm. adopting older dogs, which I think is terrific. Okay, um, you mentioned before, so there used to be. And when you started at Gray Muzzle, there were there were more barriers to people adopting older dogs, you know, whether they were adults or whether they were seniors, what were some of those barriers that maybe had to be overcome and that are still kind of being overcome? Well, I think, you know, as we were saying that the idea of this, the sort of stigma of, you know, well, this dog is an older dog and I don't really know what he or she has been through and, and maybe, you know, he or she is going to have terrible health issues that I don't know about and that I won't be able to afford or, you know, maybe there were behavior issues that caused the dog to, to be given up. And, you know, I don't want to deal with that. And I think as people are becoming more open to the idea of adopting senior dogs, they're really recognizing that, that most of these dogs were, you know, lost, they lived in a home with people where they had been trained and loved and um, you know, through really through no fault of their own, have they ended up in need of a new home? And I think there are certainly advantages with an older dog in terms of, of knowing what you're getting in terms of the personality of the dog and the activity level. And, you know, I think anytime you're bringing a pet into your home, it's really important to make sure that the personality of that dog is a good fit with the your family and your lifestyle and so i think with older dogs you have more information to go on in terms of making that that you know perfect match okay um so what do you say then to you know to maybe someone who you know is is kind of on the fence about you know, adopting an older dog um, versus a younger dog. You know, the maybe they're making the argument that like, oh, we want a younger dog and we can kind of have a blank slate with them. But also we're thinking about this older dog who might be, you know, who we might not have to put as much work into. What do you say to the person who's kind of on the fence about it? Well, I think first I'd say opening your home to any homeless dog is a good thing. So you can't go wrong there. Of course. Uh, but I think that adopting an older dog really does offer those advantages, as I was saying, in terms of knowing what, what you're getting in terms of the dog's personality. And, you know, I think there there's also this this sense that senior dogs have and this aura about them of, of sort of thankfulness and gratitude. 
food for being given that second chance at a loving home. And, you know, you can't really quantify that. And I think it's something you kind of have to experience. But I will say that, you know, I've done interviews with a lot of, um, of our grantees, adopters, and almost to a person, people who have adopted senior dogs enthusiastically say that they would do it again that they would do it again in a heartbeat and that it was, you know, the best thing that they, that they ever did. So I think if we, if we can learn from those testimonials, hopefully more people will be open to, to adopting a senior dog. Okay. So, you know, adopting a senior dog, um, of course is not without its challenges. Um, for someone who, who, might be considering adopting an older dog for the first time and maybe doesn't have the experience with um, a senior dog. What is some of the advice that you would give them, you know, things to be ready for with with a senior? Obviously, you know, health concerns are, are one of them, but, you know, what else might people not think about when they're considering adopting an older dog? Right. Well, you know, I think the first thing to think about is the fact that each dog is an individual. And there's, a, you know, we typically think of senior dogs as being seven and older, but as the lifespan of dogs is getting longer, given, you know, new veterinary treatments and interventions, you know, dogs are now typically living to, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, and right. you know, dogs are even living longer. So if you think of a, a dog being senior at the age of seven, they actually probably have more time ahead of them than they have behind them. So, you know, Cameron, our dog, she is going to be 13, but honestly, she doesn't act any different than she <laughs> She was, you know, four or five or six or seven. So, um, you know, and I think then if you think about, you know, older, you know, really sort of super senior dogs who are, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, I think then, yes, you probably do have to think more about perhaps accommodations that you might need to make in terms of your house. You know, they, they might um, have arthritis. And so going up and down stairs may be a little bit more challenging. They may have problems with, with traction. So, you know, a lot of people put mats on the floors, yoga mats, for example, to help with traction so that they don't slip. Um, but I think, you know, you really have to, to consider what, if any issues your, that the senior dog that you're, opening your home to might have and then how you might you know address those challenges and in fact um we're actually having a, a webinar coming up that is going to address that exact issue oh cool um, we have a veterinarian who's going to be speaking about some common challenges and, and ways to to manage them okay um talk about um you know, I know you've got you've got Cameron now, and you've had you've had the two older the two other ones before before her. Did you have did you have dogs growing up? I did not. I had a cat growing okay. up. Okay. Did um, you did 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 the cat like did the cat make it to to senior age? The cat did make it to senior, okay. but I actually um, became enamored with dogs through my husband. Okay. So he had a, a yellow lab and we actually met in graduate school and my husband, Bill, had the um, the foresight to bring his six-month-old lab puppy to the first grad school party of the year. 
So that is actually how I met my husband. <laughs> okay. So we, we had Mac at the lab for, he lived to be 15 years old. So Okay. Yeah. So, so what did he sort of teach you about um, living with an older dog? That even though he was older, he could still figure out how to get into the garbage can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, and what about, what were some, you know, you talk, you talk about you're having this webinar, you know, coming up soon about, you know, kind of adjustments, you know, to your house and to your, to your life that you might have to make for a senior dog. What were some of the adjustments that you had to make for him? Um, you know, we, we really didn't have to make too many adjustments for him. Okay. He did have some issues with arthritis and hip dysplasia. So sure. you know, we, going for, you know, we had to go for shorter walks. We, um, we didn't, you know, we were limited time. At that time, actually, we we lived in a house that didn't have too many stairs, so that wasn't okay. an issue. Um, but he was a he was a big dog, so unlike um, our two dogs that I was mentioning, Hercules and Paterno, you know, they were small. They were you know twenty five ish pounds max. Okay, eighty. Right. So with Herky and Paterno, you know, when they got to the point where it was hard for them to do stairs, I could lift them up with Mac that wasn't possible. So right. he didn't really, you know, that wasn't so much of an issue for him. Okay. What about, um, what about personality changes? What are some of the personality changes that you've seen in, in your dogs over the years as they've, as they've gotten older? Right. So Paterno, the, the two, the two, one of the two dogs that I was mentioning that Cameron grew up with, um, Paterno and Hercules were actually litter mates. So um, we got them as puppies as well. They were foster fails hmm. for us. But Paterno actually had some um, canine cognitive disorder. Okay. So she became very unsettled when you would touch her head. So okay. we had to be really careful about that because that was very triggering for her. Um so, you know, again, we had to take our cues from her in terms of what she was comfortable with and not. And it did come as a little bit of a surprise because that, you know, sort of snapping behavior sort of came out of the blue, at least for me. Um, but, you know, we took her to the neurologist and they really felt like like it was a cognitive issue. So it was really just a, a question of, of managing our behavior to make right. sure that she was, was comfortable and safe. Okay. What are, um, you know, and for people who, who might not have the experience, what are some things that people can look out for in their dogs? Um, you know, because that is something that can happen to dogs as they get older. What are some things that people can look out for, um, you know, to, to get a clue for sort of what their dog is, is dealing with? Yeah. I mean, I think anytime there's any change in your dog's behavior, I think that's a, a sign that it's important for you to check that out. So that could be a change, you know, like I said, and, you know, if your dog always likes to cuddle and all of a sudden they're like, no way. Hmm. Or if, you know, your dog enjoys, um, you know, it doesn't sleep a lot and all of a sudden is sleeping more or is starting to pace, for example. Um, I think any of those changes in behavior it's important for you to not dismiss 
and right. talk to your veterinarian about them. Um, because, you know, it, I think a lot of these changes come on gradually. And so right. you can identify them in the early stages. There may be ways to intervene to, um, to slow the progression potentially of whatever it is that's causing the problem. So I think being aware and being vigilant and taking action when you see any kind of change is, is really important. Okay. Um, and does, does, you know, one of the things that can happen, I know with, with senior dogs is they can start costing more money because they, they can have more medical problems and, and things like that as they, as they get older. Um, you know, and that's of course something that people do have to consider when they're thinking about adopting a dog is, is sort of the health costs associated with it. And, you know, does, does gray muzzle provide, I know, I know you talked about like grants to rescue organizations and things. Does does gray muzzle provide any, any assistance to, um, just, just, you know, private people in terms of, um, helping out in terms of helping out with, with costs like that, you know, especially, you know, ones that might be unexpected. Yes, we do actually. So we have been increasingly providing grants that are focused on prevention of surrender. So these are grants where our grantees are using the funding to help people who might be considering giving up their senior dog because they can't afford medical care, for example, um, to be sure that they can, they have the resources to provide that care so they don't end up um, surrendering the dog to the shelter. I mean, you know, that's a shelter is a really hard place for a senior dog to be. It's, it's unfamiliar and noisy. And so, you know, the best possible outcome in most cases is for the, the dog to stay with a family who loves him. And so we are really, really trying to promote efforts to keep senior dogs out of the shelter in homes with families that love them, particularly in cases where you know, finances are, are the barrier to getting the dog the care that, that he needs. Okay. Um, I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about sort of how COVID affected things. Um, you know, I know at the sort of at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about like, you know, people, people were very excited to start getting pets at the beginning of the pandemic. And then as things went on and people went back to, went back to the office, um, you know, there was, there was, worry that it might that you know pets might start getting returned what did you see you know what what have you seen in terms of like senior dogs especially because you know a lot of people were off of work for extended periods of time and you know people lost jobs and people changed jobs and things um how did how did covid kind of affect things uh for senior dogs well i think um in 20 20 and 20 early ish half of 2021 i i think senior dogs were positively impacted as were dogs of all ages because people adopted like crazy yeah and so um there was there really weren't a lot of dogs to be had <laughs> to adopt which is great um, and also people weren't shelters were closed so people couldn't relinquish their dogs so, but unfortunately now what we're seeing is that shelters and rescues are being overrun, just completely, 
completely overwhelmed with the number of dogs that they are, are seeing coming into care. And the length of stay for those dogs is also longer. And so, um, and, and donations are down. So it's sort of a perfect storm of nothing good for shelters and rescues. And, you know, senior dogs tend to be um, the ones to suffer the most when um, shelters are over capacity. So that's really a, a challenge. And, you know, we're, we are, you know, we are hoping that our, our grants this year and the record amount that we were able to provide, you know, will help to address at least in some way that situation. But, it, you know, it's really a, a difficult situation right now for shelters and rescues. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, again, I, I, I always like being 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 very honest with people about this stuff. What, what have you found has been sort of the hardest thing for you about having um, older dogs, whether it's whether it's something going on with with um, your dog now or in the past? What, what have you found sort of has been the toughest challenge for you? I think the toughest challenge is um, having a senior dog who, who is reluctant to eat. Okay. A really hard thing to, to manage and to watch. And, you know, I know, you know, when, when Herky had cancer and her treatment really affected her, her appetite, and Bill and I, my husband and I would go to the store and I would just walk up and down the aisles just trying to find, think of something that would appeal to her. And then yeah. bringing it home and offering it to her and have her, having her turn her head away was just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what do you, you know, what do you do in that case? I mean, how, do, how does that, you know, obviously at that point you have to start kind of thinking about quality of life and and all of that um you know what do you what do you do like what is what is sort of your thought process once you see that starting to happen well i I think you're exactly right i think you do have to think about quality of life you have to think about you know that the circumstances the context in which that behavior is happening and you know for example is it something that's happening you know once a week you know sort of infrequently or is it something that's happening every day? Is there any um, intervention, you know, any medicine or some anything else that you could do to address, you know, the lack of appetite to stimulate the appetite? Um, there are drugs that are appetite stimulants. And, you know, is that something you want to try? Is that something that you think would be good for the, your dog? And then, you know, I guess, as you say, you know, ultimately you do have to think about quality of life. I mean, eating and sustenance are key to survival, right? For us right. animals. So when that is compromised, that certainly is something that we have to, to take as, as an important indicator that perhaps it's, it's time to, to say goodbye. Yeah. You know, you, you, been part of part of the gray muzzle organization for for a long time now you know you've had you know you've had senior dogs and you know how has there ever been a point you know you deal with this with all these hard hard things every day has there ever been a point when you know you've thought you you 
kind of can't do it anymore? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Never has been a point at, at all like that. Um, Good. I am really, I feel really fortunate to mm-hmm. be in this role and to have the opportunity to, to play a leadership role in the gray muscle organization and to have my daily efforts focused on, on helping some of the most at-risk dogs. And I count that as a, as a real blessing. And I, I just feel really lucky to be working with such a great organization. Cool. Um, what is, you know, in the years that you've been with the gray muzzle organization, what is something that, you know, the organization has achieved that you're really proud of, or even that you, you know, that sort of you've achieved as part of the organization, you know, that you want to talk about the, you know, that stands out in your mind, you know, what are, what are some of the highlights over the years? Um, well, I, I mean, I, I think that the fact that we have increased the, our annual grant amount from, I think it was about 200 and 200 ish thousand dollars in 2015 when I started to over $700,000 this year. I, I mean, I, I think that is a, a testament to our supporters and how generous they have been. And so I, I'm just really proud of Gray Muzzle's growth in that way and our ability to increase the number of an amount of awards that we give so that we are able to help more senior dogs. Um, I think that's really exciting. I, I'm also really proud of a study that we did. We, we got a, um, as I said, my background's in, in research and evaluation. and. Right. I got a grant from Maddie's Fund in 2019, I guess, to do the first ever national study focused specifically on senior dogs. So I did interviews with over 100 um, program folks from our grantees, and I interviewed senior dog adopters and senior dog fosters. And um, you you can find information about the study on our website, but I think it was it was just a really great experience. And, and I think, um, you know, some of the, the priorities that we have now were the result of that study that we did, particularly our focus on prevention and helping to keep senior dogs in their homes and the importance of providing resources around that to our grantees. Um, and then I think also, as I also mentioned, you know, the fact that senior dog adopters really are um, terrific advocates for senior dog adoption and for repeat senior dog adoption. And they talked about the fact that, you know, while it was certainly hard to lose their senior dog, they were next in line to open their hearts to another senior dog because it was such a positive experience. So I think having the opportunity to share that information and um, provide leadership and information about important directions that we as a field need to consider in order to save senior dogs has been really a gratifying part of my work with Gray Muscle. Um, so what is, what's next for the organization? Well, I hope that we continue to grow and to be able to offer more grants to increase the amount that we offer every year in grant awards. But, you know, we're not a foundation, so and we don't get any type of government support. So the amount that we 
award each year in grants is entirely dependent on how much we um, bring in from our, our supporters. So um, those private donations are just really important. We also really want to expand our capacity building um, efforts. So another thing that came out of the Maddie's Fund study was the need to help shelters and rescues figure out how to expand their work serving senior dogs. And we see that a lot, particularly with smaller shelters and rescues that, you know, they may not have the capacity internally, um, either the people or they might not have um, the, the resources. They may, may need help with fundraising or um, finding community veterinary partners, for example, to provide specialized care. So one of the things that we would really like to do is not only to provide um, more money to shelters and rescues, but also to provide that hands-on technical assistance to help them to be able to um, increase their capacity to serve more senior dogs. Okay. Um, one of the things you hear a lot, especially in, in the rescue world, um, is people, people will say, you know, oh, I, could, I, I would have such a hard time I would have such a hard time fostering a dog because, you know, I could never, I could never let him go. Things like that. Is there, is there an ideal, you know, can anyone learn to be a senior dog adopter? Or is there, you know, or is there a special type of person that it, that it takes? Oh, I think anybody who, who has the, the inclination and the heart to open their home to a senior dog can do a terrific job of either fostering or adopting. I think the the key element is, is the will to do that and the desire to do it. I don't think there's any secret sauce there that is um, unique to to someone and not somebody else. Okay, what is at least in, in your experience, what's been the most rewarding part of, of having senior dogs and taking care of them? No, I think just, you know, seeing them go through each stage of life and each stage of, of seniorhood, if you will, um, you know, it, it's just very gratifying to to walk that walk with them and to, to go on that journey of life from you know, in our case, from, from having younger dogs to, to seeing them through their, their middle-aged years, to seeing them through their, their final years, and, and then finally to be there when, when we said goodbye. Okay. Um, I think that is as good a place as any to uh, wrap things up. So, um, but before we go, just tell, um, tell everybody where can they find information about uh, the gray muzzle um, out in the world? Sure. You can find us um, on the web at graymuzzle.org. That's G-R-E-Y-M-U-Z-Z-L-E.org. Okay. Um, you heard her. Go, go check out graymuzzle.org. A lot of great resources for, for people considering um, adopting a senior dog or for people who, who might have a senior dog. Um, Lisa, thank you so much for being a part of this. Um you know, like I said, I wanted to, to do this because I've got, got a senior of my own. And, you know, as you know, throughout my life, there have been senior dogs that have, that have come and gone. And, and, you know, I, I always like being able to tell people just how, you know, just how great they are. Um, 
So yeah, thank you so much for, for being on Hound Opinions. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for checking out Hound Opinions. If you like what you hear, we'd appreciate if you gave Hound Opinions a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bill Mayeroff is the owner and chief canine officer of Big Wags Chicago Dog Training and Dog Walking. You can find Big Wags Chicago online at bigwagschicago.com. You can also find us under the handle at bigwagschicago, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you have a dog question you'd like answered on a future episode, or if you just want to say hi, email podcast at bigwagschicago.com. Hound Opinions is a production of Big Wag Chicago. Bill Mayeroff is the editor and producer. The executive producers of Hound Opinions are Winchester X. Puppington the 17th and Bodie Johnson. Thanks.